Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's IPL week again here on the Top Order Podcast. We're going to talk hundreds, Rajasthan's epic collapse, the playoff picture with a week to go, and Stu's got a T20 rules proposal as well. We'll talk a little bit of New Zealand cricket, Dave White stepping down, Joffre's contract offer from the Mumbai Indians, the ICC revenue model, and a little bit of county championship as well. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, good paper shuffling again uh, this week. We've all got the sort of newsreader uh, motions going on. It, IPL, really, really, we say it every week, but kind of hotting up with most of the teams, two games to go in the tournament. Rajasthan Royals just have the one CSK and KKR, as well as the Gujarat Titans. I think have only got one game to go. Gujarat sitting top of the table, 18 points, 13 played. Um, in the tournament so far. And then we go all the way down to Punjab Kings uh, 12 games and 12 points. And pretty much everybody's still in the mix, uh, bar the Sunrisers and bar the Delhi Caps, you'd, you'd have to say. Yeah, um, I think Sunrisers sure officially some... kind of knocked out last night, I think, weren't they? So I, I guess where do we want to start? Because there's a lot going on. Mumbai maybe pacing their, their run towards the playoffs pretty well. Rajasthan just dropping off. Uh, LSG look pretty well placed. They, they've got that... Uh, one point, I guess, advantage sitting at 13 points off their 12 games with uh, a bunch of teams all on all on 12. Um, ben Stokes is going to go home before the end of the tournament. Joe Roots had three games now, just one at bat. Uh, so, yeah, l- lots and lots to talk about. But w- where do we want to start? Probably the hundreds, I think. I think so. I mean, as an opening question, you guys, is it staggered? Like, I, I'm still staggered that T20 hundreds are so easy I guess it seems for these guys like honestly we had Friday morning Jaiswell I'm going to count that as 100 98 not out typical bowler (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he was going to get there you know they even tried bowling wides at the end to try and stop him from getting there Sunday morning New Zealand time Sky does his 100 you know he's been incredible form Sunday morning then we have uh, perhaps Simran Singh gets 100 against DC and then again last night, we've got Shubman uh, Gill getting 100. So, what I mean, 400s in five days or six days here in, in New Zealand. I mean, like, same question again. Is this a surprise? Uh, when we say it's a surprise, I think we've perfected we. The players have perfected the tempo required to score that 20, 20, 100. You know, that, mm. that 60 ball 100 is, is, is kind of becoming the norm. But then you see some stuff like what Jaiswal was doing. Yeah. Uh, off, what did he get? 50 off, what are you notes there? 50 yeah. off 13 balls. Incredible I think it was the fastest IPL 50 ever. Yeah, it was a 14 yeah. ball one. I think Pat Cummins actually held it. Prior, oh, I remember prior that. Somebody yeah. else. Yeah, somebody years else ago, yeah. yeah. Um, but, and he got five buzzers in that as well, didn't he? So there was one, I, I think it was Andre Russell maybe fielding and mm. threw the ball in, I think, from extra cover or, or mid-off and yep. um, ricocheted off the stumps for five, which kind of helped him along the way. And mm. um, the, the run scoring has been a, probably a theme a little bit of this week. Mumbai Indians, I said to you guys on the Slack channel, they chased down 200 with four overs mm. to spare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that was Sky's 80, wasn't it? 80-odd yeah. off 30-odd balls. I mean, yeah, like I said, he's been in unbelievable form. But yeah, I, I just find it amazing. And, like, I mean, you guys were talking around these hundreds that are scoring. Perhaps Simran Singh, I think he had 27 off 31 balls. And then he goes 75 off his next 30. Mm. So it's all that stuff that we talked about with Coley last week and with KL Rahul and... You know, we've talked about it with Williamson in the past where these guys get going. I don't think it was really like the plan for Prabhsimran Singh. He actually looked to be struggling a bit in that innings. 
but then just went boom. And once they take off, so many players now, once they take off, it's just impossible to stop them. It feels like that, doesn't it? I mean, we talked about this in the... Michael said that you shouldn't get 41 off two overs <laughs> and how wrong he's been proven yet again on the Top Order podcast. But, I mean... Won't be the last time. No, it won't be the last time. Has has not Also, not the first time. The, the problem... I think we're getting close to an imbalance between bat and ball. Like, if if bowlers can't stop players from hitting the ball pretty much wherever they want, mm. there's something going on in terms of the balance between bat and ball, whether it's size of ground or state of wicket or state of ball or maybe just the bowlers not being able to, like, counter batters being able to access both sides of the wicket like they haven't been able to in the past, you know, with reverses and such. Mm. There is something I think that we need to maybe just be aware of and start thinking about, is there something that we need to do here with the balance of bat and ball, whether it's the ball get make it, like, allow it to get older so that it's not as hard and it doesn't, you know, go as far or swings more or something. I think there's something in there that, you know... But, but this is by design, right? Like... As a as a probably as a governing body, you want two hundred and twenty plays, oh, two hundred and twenty one. Yeah. You know, big ratings, big revenue. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe we don't, but I th- I think they do. Yeah, uh, but I I, I think and, so. And but, is there anything at, wrong with that? At, at, but at what point does it become the home run derby at the All Star Weekend in baseball? Right, like it's just ba- that's basically what a two twenty or two forty game is. It's just the home run derby. Like, but isn't that what T twenty cricket's supposed uh, to be? Uh, I think there's I think there's got to be something in it for a bowler. Something in it for a bowler. If there's nothing in it for a bowler at all and all you're doing is just lobbing up, you know, <laughs> something to be hit out of the park, that's not like that's not gonna get young kids wanting to bowl. Right? I, I, I don't disagree with the with the premise, but I think we've got to look at the fact there's a couple of bowlers in fact more than a couple of bowlers that are at, you know the top end of that wickets chart going at under eight and over yep, you know absolutely. Shami, Rashid I think have both got 23 wickets at under eight and over in the tournament I think the other factor that's probably coming to this IPL as well is if we look back at the last couple which we know partly COVID affected mm. um, they had to play on the same wickets over and over again throughout the course of the tournament yeah, so I think yeah. they've probably played on more fresh decks which mm. you know normally would be then more batting friendly it certainly seems to have spun a little bit less over the course of this tournament and mm. um, so you know maybe that's one of the things is is to bring a bit of that jeopardy the, the, um, into it as the well the thing that bothers me about modern cricket now not is the skill of the player you sound quite old there <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm prepared Back in to my be, day i'm prepared to be old what i what i what i don't like is that um fielding and bowling teams are not rewarded now for a batter making a mistake a batter can make a serious error in terms of judgment or of line and length or the shot that they need to play and still hit the ball for four or six in the modern game. That, to me, needs needs redressing. It's not so much whether or not the batsman is good enough to hit the ball out of the stand if they get it right, but if they get it wrong, there should be some serious jeopardy as to whether or not they get caught on the boundary or in the infield. At the moment, that doesn't happen. You don't have to look very far to look at like edges being chunked and going yeah. for six over the back of the keeper's head or a ball that in like the 80s and 90s would be caught on the boundary or caught just outside the infield goes way over the infield yeah. goes for four or six but we can't I think con- that's the thing that needs to be redressed but in we, terms of the balance we can't control the size of the grounds really too much they can no. maybe bring them in a little bit but not not much given you know no. all the 
paraphernalia now that yep. needs to be between the yep. fences and, and the playing surface. So we're really left with the cricket ball and, and, and the bat, and, the bat yep. and potentially the surface as the, as yep. the three so things. So, right? I mean, those are the three things. Other sports have dealt with it. Golf and tennis have dealt with it by changing the size of the ball to greater or lesser um, yeah. um, uh, controversy. Javelin has dealt with it multiple times by sh- changing the shape of the javelin. You know, the world record in javelin got up to 120 metres. They were throwing it out of the stadium. They changed the width of the javelin to make it less aerodynamic. More dangerous, though, than, than cricket. <laughs> Far yeah, more dangerous, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't Absolutely. expecting javelin chat on today's show, but that's good. <laughs> but that's, nice, where, that's nice where we've landed. I think there needs to be some redress between bat and ball, and maybe it's only in T20 cricket where it seems to be the, the biggest issue. But, but do you feel that if we don't see a game that's 170 plays 170 for example we have kind of not wasted our time but we've lost a little like for example when Rajasthan were bowled out for 50 odd mm. like that's like oh, I've watched that that game I've scrolled through blah, 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 and then it's kind of like oh well the game was over very very quickly like isn't that something that you feel like you've lost um no because it's only one game um, it's, I mean, in, in fairness, if all games were like that and the average T20 score was closer to 120 than 180, then hard absolutely. Watch. Hard watch. Very difficult to watch. There is nothing worse than a Dower 190 plays 195-50 over game of cricket. Yeah. Like, that, mm. nobody wants to see that. But that's too far in the other direction, you know what I mean? There is a balance, and I just don't think that the balance is right, and I think it's largely to do with batsmen getting away with far too many mistakes. Uh, you, you mentioned the bats and the ball, balls. I reckon that came out wrong. Uh, I reckon the, the pitches have a lot to... A lot, yep, a, I, a lot, I, I think if I think back to, you know, the early 2000s or late 90s, a lot of those pitches had a little bit in them. Mm-hmm. You know, they had some green in them. Mm-hmm. They they were a little bit uneven or, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and maybe it is that this is an Indian Premier League conversation, you know, flat... Batting friendly wickets. I think we only need to rewind to the World Cup. Yep. Uh, World Cup final, the MCG. Um, it nipped around almost all the way through. There mm. was, you know, three or four. I mean, I think Shaheen Shah Freddy bowled a spell where um, he went past the outside yeah, edge about yeah, yeah. 77 times in his 24 balls. And yeah. it, it was nipping. Hell of a feat to do that, by a- the way. A- absolutely. Um, and so I, th- I think it, there's a little bit of this is a one, you know, country and the pitches are going to be a little bit like that when we have maybe the big bash it, it you know it, it's going to be a little bit different in terms of a little bit of nibble potentially um yeah i, but I it's feel been like exciting though it, ha- it has been yes, exciting it has to it, be fair it has been super exciting it has been exciting and uh, let, let's go to that in a second but since you teased it before and and we're talking about tactics and you know the the balance of things the the idea that i haven't thrown out to any of you guys so to try and solve, because I had a similar thought about some of that stuff, and, and actually it was more around the fact that T20 cricket is such a tactical game that I think maybe you just go all in on those tactics, and I think that the fielding restrictions could change in T20 cricket as well, and that you have your power plays in the same way that you're supposed to select them in a one-dayer. Why can't you just do that in a T20? And we have scenarios where teams are not having their power plays at the start of the innings for, for the bowlers, say. And that way you could have batters coming in where they've they've actually got to make a tactical decision. Do I get myself in for five or six overs and then try and use the power play? As a bowling team, you're seeing that Rajasthan game, for example. They didn't play Trent Bolt in that game. Yep. They picked Adam Zampa and then they bowled all their spinners all in the power play. 
maybe you're going, okay, well, we'll pick Trent Bolt, we'll bowl him, we won't use our power play, we'll give him some cover, we'll try and use the swing, we'll try and take a couple of wickets, get Coley and Fuff out, yep. and then we'll put the power play on mm. when the you know when the batters are, are I don't mind that. In, in that scenario. I so don't mind that. It, it, I get, feel like that yeah. Yeah, could have some... I you know could have some way of actually giving the bowling team some opportunity to to influence the game. They're a tremendously bit more. successful, Raj, as you know, in social cricket, the selection well, of the power play. Yes, but that that has to do with the um, the quality of the fifth bowling option. That, would you but say? it also <laughs> increases the runs or halves or doubles the runs yes, or halves of runs. Not necessarily a fielding thing. You, you mentioned when the power players, but these teams are scoring 220, 230. They're going the whole, yeah. whole yeah, innings. That's true. Mm. And I think also has an impact on the end of the game or the end of the innings as well, particularly mm. now. We've seen it only happen a, a, a few times in the tournament, but there has been teams getting to the buzzer um, and having to have only uh, four out in the last uh, yeah, the last yeah. couple of overs, so I think again, whatever you do in terms of a rule change around that kind of stuff has potentially unintended consequences mm-hmm. as well. And, and I think the other thing is it, it just makes the game even more complicated to True. to watch potentially for the casual you know the casual fan um, in terms of oh what's going on here and yeah okay you can explain it but I think there's a simplicity about it being up you know up front I think that. Um, you know that you're going to see hell for leather um, as well. So they're they're going then. from the start anyway. First six overs, yeah, yeah, but you, you're seeing that hell for leather in the, mm. in, the, in the first six overs. I think it's something we come back to at the end of the IPL. This might be a flash in the pan and this might just be a one-off tournament where the scoring average rises and we go back to something resembling what we've known in the past next year. But I think it's worth keeping an eye on for sure. You mentioned Mumbai before. Sky, I mean, why don't we talk about Sky? Because uh, honestly, I think we we sort of joked about him I think that was maybe at the start of the IPL when he'd gone through that terrible run of form and the, he wasn't out of form though Stuart no he well he wasn't out of form because he hadn't had enough he hadn't and, had and, enough balls to get out of form he's certainly back he in form now. now yeah and honestly that, like that guy I mean there's some seriously you know even as someone who supports the bowlers and wants the bowlers to be doing well there is some seriously good watching in this IPL in mm-hmm. terms of the quality of batters I think the one that's been going around social media is the one that he you know uses his wrists and gets it over third man yeah. for six basically when it looks like he's trying to hit it over cover but actually just manipulates the ball and I mean it's just remarkable cricket and and the fact that they can be a team where their bowling attack is terrible right on paper at least you know you've got Puyas Chawla who's become really really important for them having an excellent season Jason Berendorf's become a really important bowler for them in, in the in the last couple of games but you know on paper compared to the rest of the other sides but it just doesn't matter because that guy's just so good, and Ishan Kishan's come back into some form, and they're just flying now. Mm. Well, they've got a little bit of momentum. What are they? Four out of their last five. Mm-hmm. Um, four, uh, four out of the last five, yeah. Four out of the last five. Then you know, momentum is what you need in, in the IPL. I am excited to see Sky back. I think he was giving them a little bit of a handicap. He's fifth now on the run charts. Mm-hmm. Um, started from from behind, but yeah, Mumbai have every every chance. To go very deep into this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, I guess they play tonight, don't they? Mm. So they play against uh, the super giants. Yeah, that's as a big to game. The regular giants. Yeah. Uh, and then they've got the, the Sunrisers in the penultimate game of the um, of the round robin stages. Um, yeah. So look, it is just a fun, fascinating sort of set of combinations. I don't think there's a massive amount of point in us going into those other than to maybe talk about 
um, our predictions as we get a little bit deeper into the segment. But um, yeah, as we said, half the teams have got sort of two games to go. There's a, there's a handful that have just got the one to go. Rinku Singh has carried on. Um, so, you know, we talked about him last week. Um, I think, he, you know, he's gone back up the, you know, the run charts a little bit more this week as well. Glenn Maxwell as well, 550s in the tournament, yep. Baldy. He's, he's playing really well, Glenn Maxwell. Um, I think he has been listening to the podcast. Heard Raj uh, talk him down and talk up Michael Bracewell, and oh. he said, well, I'm having a piece of this. And he's actually done a really, really good job for, for RCB. To be fair, Bracewell's bowled really well throughout, actually throughout bowled the really tournament. Well, to be it was fair nice to get a Bracewell sighting, wasn't yeah. it? It was, but... Uh, Did yeah. they both play? They both played, right? They in both that played game. in yeah. that nice. game. Um, uh, yeah, Hasaranga left out. Yeah. The, um, and just if we do go to RCB, that's just been their problem the whole way through. I mean, you've got Coley, Faf, and Glenn Maxwell, all in the top 10 batters with the in- impactful uh, stat being used, all in the top 10, yet they are losing so many games mm. because of how their bowling is, is, is going at the moment. They're just leaking runs. I mean, I know Sky is an exceptional talent, but chasing down 200 and, what was it, 220 odd? Yeah, in sixteen overs, or something like that, yeah. in, in sixteen overs, that's that's unheard of. That's got to be something wrong with the execution from the bowlers there. Yeah, I mean, I I had the same thing down about Maxwell. You know, again, just outrageous cricket shots. The the game last night. I mean, they like well, the night before. Sorry, when he was just it's does he's batting left handed, and you, it, you know when that stuff goes wrong. I remember in the T Twenty World Cup, I think it went wrong, and suddenly everyone was kind of mocking him and going, "Oh well, mm. you know." Should be batting right hand and don't you know, look what happens. But when he gets it right, it, it actually is impossible to bolt it. Mm. Like, you know, no matter where he was put, where the bowlers were putting it, he could just access every single part of the ground and, and he's just smoking it. So, yeah, just amazing stuff. I think you're going to talk about impact. He's, mm. His strike rate's at 180 this season. Much better than the uh, international season he was having, it looks like. Mm. Just around the table now and, and going into the playoffs. Do you think that Gujarat have an absolute advantage that pretty much everybody else, maybe CSK could drop a game, but pretty much everybody else has to win every game all the way through to the mm. to the final from here to get firstly get to the playoffs and then to actually obviously win the thing? Yeah, look, I, I think I'll probably have a bob each way on that one because that they're you know they're, they're through. Um, I think they can still technically only finish second I think um, if you know all the results go um, I think CSK's way and they they win their uh, remaining they've only got one game left actually CSK so they can't yeah. but I think Mumbai Indians can maybe match they them on they can go to nine can yeah. ma- match them on points but so the I, run rate is horrible though yep. so I yep. just wonder whether or not you know Gujarat almost they can take the foot off the gas now but they, they really want to keep that momentum going because if Mumbai for example who were going pretty well um, stay on that you know stay on that role CSK have started to, to probably come good as well um, chopping and changing that sign round you've really got Moen Ali in for Ben Stokes who's having a pretty good tournament isn't he Moen Ali um, if well, Stokes isn't even featured I mean it's right from early in the tournament I think he's available this week but not selected but yeah. I, I, I think my point with, with this is you know Gujarat almost that they want to have um, a close you know a close game and, and, and a tune up whether it you know whether and, and they don't play until the last game of the uh, the tournament now so that you know that the last game of the group stages is against the RCB which if you look at it 
it's Last probably RCB. It's probably a dead rubber, though, isn't it? I mean, obviously, if they win, if Maybe. they win, if they win their game against the Sunrisers, then yes, of course. Oh, for Gujarat, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I, I, I just wonder again whether they might want a, a bit more of a tune-up li- leading in and um, having exhausted almost all their games, uh, you know, early in the tournament. Uh, but yeah. they could, they could. Oh, Schedulings in my head might be all wrong, all wrong, but Gujarat could lose their next two games and then win the next two games and win the tournament, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So, yep. so they're nine and four now. And yep. They'd finish nine and six. Worst case, only one other team, which is Mumbai, can finish yep. with nine wins. So they, as Adam said, guaranteed top two. Whereas a lot of those teams have to win their next four games. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, just, to, just or three. They have to win the next three, three on the bounce to get to, to the, get the final, to the final. Yeah. and then the fourth to win it. Yeah. So yeah. How, it, this is a long tournament. Like mm. we've joked about it, but it is a reasonably long tournament. Like how important do you think rest is at this point for Gujarat, or the ability to say, well, we're only going to play. I don't know Hardik Pandya at six, or we're gonna, you know, we're not gonna bowl Hardik in the last couple of games. We'll bowl somebody else, either to give them a run or to play with that those kinds of things. Like, how how do you guys feel about that? Because and then someone can come back to me. Yeah, I'd really dislike doing this, but I'll have to agree with Adam that momentum is is actually the key here. I think that they mm. if they should not be taking any foot off the uh, gas pedal. They should be winning every game going yep. forward because momentum is everything. And, and we saw that with CSK that. when they when they in the bubble when they just came back mm. from that half you know half tournament or whatever got on a roll and just won the tournament. Like it was, it was as simple as that. They just got on a rhythm and kept going and kept going and kept and then you know won. Where do we think this is going to end up? So, you know, we did predictions at the start. We've done mid-tournament predictions. We've predicted stuff every week, and um, it, it changes, you know, as often as our socks, I think. But um, where are we, you know, where are we going here? We, we're all, obviously Gujarat are a, a lock. They're, you know, that they're, they're, they're definitely, definitely qualified. Where do we think the other three semi-finalists or, you know, final four are coming from in this playoff stage? Well, I think tonight's massive and then that, you know, people are going to listen to this podcast and probably know the result of LSG in Mumbai. But I think that's huge. And I think whoever wins that game is in, if you ask me. And CSK is probably also in. And and I and I, go, I guess, you know, going around in circles in this conversation, I think we've got to circle back to this epic collapse from Rajasthan. Because, yeah. you know, I think a few weeks ago when we were talking before things kind of got all bunched up again in the in the table there were four teams that looked like they were out in the lead and it looked really like this was almost over and that Gujarat, Rajasthan, CSK and uh, LSG at that time when KL Rahul and Mark Wood and stuff were still fit they looked the four best teams easily everyone else was kind of you know beating each other a little bit but those guys looked dominant and now we've got a situation where Rajasthan has just gone on this epic collapse even the 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 most recent game you mentioned it before when they get bowled out for fifty nine yeah they're just playing I, I mean honestly like what on earth are they doing it was the most brain dead cricket they you you mentioned the run rates before as well and how important all of that kind of stuff is they completely just butchered their run rate by they get in a situation where they've got ten like how do you get bowled out with nine overs to go mm. it's just it's unfathomable and you know I just don't know how you get a, you know. What are they t- honestly? What are they doing? I've, I'm I'm almost to the point of swearing up because it's it's just that ridiculous. But basketball, mate, you know, What's you just a, come back a, tomorrow and and, and it, a, it doesn't matter. It's a quick death thing, right? Why why drag it out? Why drag it out for twenty hours? Maybe for run rate. Maybe you should be grumpy about it. But yeah, quick death, good death. Uh, I just thought it, it was so terrible because they, you know, they they're in a tournament where they've got to be thinking. Like you say, it's a long, long tournament. We've got to get every single advantage if we want to be winning this tournament. 
they go away, they blow that game and the no ball against the Sunrisers. Like they're going to look back at this tournament. I don't, I don't think they make it from here. They're going to look back at this tournament and just think, what have we done here? How have we let this slip? We should be in that final. Well, yeah. in order for them to make it, they can only finish on seven wins, which means that like sides like CSK, Mumbai, LSG, RCB are all going to have to drop at least one, if not two games. Well, even CSK is probably not. But it's all that Mumbai, LSG, and RCB. Yeah, and then. The, their, those their net run rate. but their run rates are higher than the Correct. than the um, Rajasthan team. So. Yeah, so, yeah. so Ep- epic collapse. Mm. Oh, it's been terrible. So Raj, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you as my momentum barometer. RCB, you, 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 my momentum barometer. Who would you want to be in terms of? We talked about Mumbai's momentum. We talked about where GT are and CSK. Where would you want to be in terms of dressing rooms right now for that final four? Right, right now, I would want to be. Mumbai. I think they are in the box seat. They don't have to worry about any other results. They just have to win the games that are in front of them. And they have games that are definitely yeah. winnable, winnable from them. Yeah. Oh, they've got Sunrisers and um, LSG. LSG. So yeah. definitely they should. If they win one of those, they're probably through. Um, so, yeah, I would want to be Mumbai. But if, I they, wouldn't... if they beat LSG, that knocks them down a peg as well. Correct. So they're beating it. They're beating it. That's a double points win. Correct. And, but, but, Two birds, one stone. Something like that. But I wouldn't <laughs> mind sitting between Faf and Virat Kohli, though, in the dressing room. Yeah. Just as a side note, just just being Finn Allen, basically, yeah, that's just a- absorbing up their knowledge for for hopefully for future use. And uh, boys, Bordy, Lippy, any any sort of I guess contrary opinion to, to Raj's, or are we saying that really you want to be Mumbai or Gujarat at the moment? Well, I've massively jinxed Rajasthan because I thought they were going to make the final, uh, so I probably shouldn't say anything, Stu. Oh, look, I, I actually still do think now that it's becoming fairly settled. I think there's still one spot available. I, I, yeah, I tend to agree that Mumbai will win at least one of their games remaining and, and kind of do enough to get into the playoffs, whether they win both of them and, and can sneak up to second or, you know, you know, in there nice and comfortably. But, yeah, I, I think, I mean, Gujarat is obviously, and I think CSK is playing well enough to win. The, the two, you know, we've talked a lot about Conway, but we haven't talked really about some of the other bit part players like like well they're not bit part players the Shadam Shul- um, Dubey yeah. and well not Dubey no the two Sri Lankans are the guys that I've yeah. I've just been loving watching lately Patirana is just mm. uh, he's so much fun watching that guy you know you never kind of you sort of with Malinga you went oh okay this is a one of one and now it's turned out it's not a one of one He's, he's doing it even more sidearm, and uh, mm. yeah, it's just fantastic to watch. Just to follow up on your question there, so Mumbai are actually in a position where they can get ahead of CSK and somehow beat Gujarat in that qualifier and go straight through to the final. Mm. Yeah, you know they're they're in a position there where they can win three mm. games and play the final. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's going to be a crackerjack last uh, yeah last week this week, isn't it? Of the of the round robin stages, and then look, we'll come back and, and eat some humble pie next week <laughs> when it's uh, yep. yeah KKR. Uh, Punjab and Rajasthan that make it through. I know that's not mathematically possible before you comment in the social media. Um, let's move on from the IPL. Let's have a quick swish and then we'll come back and we'll talk some New Zealand cricket, some county championship um, and some other bits and pieces as well. Well, boys, we're back and we're going to talk a little bit of, I suppose, domestic cricket from around the world. So we, we will cover some New Zealand stuff. So I think um, from a New Zealand perspective, let, let's lead with that. Uh, CEO <laughs> of New Zealand cricket, uh, stepping down from his role, David White. So some reactions, you know, to that as well. But Lippy, what what have you made of that story breaking over the course of the last uh, three or four days? Uh, I don't know. It's not. A, I don't think it's necessarily a huge surprise. I think um, probably. I mean, I think he's been there eleven years now, and um, 
at various times and the way certain things have been dealt with. Probably a lot of people have not been huge fans of, of David White, but I think you can... It's hard to look back at his tenure and be terribly upset. I mean, if you read all the reports, basically when he took the job, New Zealand cricket was in a pretty bad financial way. And then, you know, you, all reports are now that that's pretty stable. And then you look at the state of the performances on the board, at least from a men's point of view, the women's game has, has sort of fluctuated up and down. But the men's game, I mean this last ten decade is, is the best decade we've had on, in terms of results and making finals of major tournaments, winning the World Test Championship. So, you know, I think in, in that case, and, and even with probably the big hires, you know, hiring Hessen, you know, it was, people were not happy, but the call, I mean, he was, he's ultimately the person responsible for the call of McCullum over Ross Taylor and all of that kind of stuff. He had to stand by all of that. And I think in hindsight you look back and you think that that's a pretty good decision and you know then and then even you know going on to higher steady afterwards to uh, to Hessen and that's followed on and it's led to a a long era of of really strong performances for New Zealand so I think his 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 tenure there will be probably in in history looked back on pretty well. Do, do you read between the lines that they've not announced a successor and you know, normally in that kind of scenario CEO particularly with that much tenure stepping down they've got a succession plan already in place do you think it's just not been finalized or do you think this has come as a bit of a shock to to New Zealand cricket I don't know you guys probably have a better sense of employment uh, mm. scenarios than I do yeah well, it would be silly right not to have a succession plan in place I'm sure they do as a you know any good administration would but just to back up your comments uh, he's overseen you know the most prosperous time of of New Zealand cricket. He, you know, as the as the you know lead administrator of the of the whole shebang, he's let those people breathe. Those people, mm. the Hessens, the McCullums, the Steads, the Williamson, let them breathe and let them take control of where that men's team in particular has has gone, and it's been an absolute success. So you you can't take that away from him. Looking to the future. I mean, New Zealand cricket has been wildly successful, particularly in the men's game, particularly in terms of reaching and winning finals over the last 10 years. Do you think that David White has set New Zealand cricket up for success in the future, in the next 10 years? I mean, there are things on the horizon like player contracts and a number of different potential, you know, flies in the ointment, not just for New Zealand cricket, to be fair, but for for every nation. Mm. How do you think New Zealand cricket is positioned now to go forward into the future under new leadership, whoever they might be. Have we have we set ourselves up for success as a cricketing nation or are we still kind of riding the coattails of the World Test Championship, World Cup final kind of success? I love that you I love when you use <laughs> we for New Zealand. That that uh that, that makes me really happy. But um I think that's uh, yes White has yes White has done all of this stuff in the past and we've just talked about that. As you say the, the appointments from here on are going to be fascinating because we've already seen Gavin Larson step down. There's, you know, I think everyone is expecting Gary Stead to sort of not reapply for his position. I have no inside info on that. I have absolutely no idea. But though, if, if those three positions all change, head selector, CEO, and, you know, coach of the, the men's side, whether they decide what they decide to do with that coaching setup is going to be fascinating. There's a lot of, like you say, a lot of player turnover and all of that kind of stuff. The Trent Bolt situation, the Colin de Gronholm, Martin Guptill, all of this stuff 
the next couple of years are going to be hugely, hugely important for, for how we transition out of this great era of, of success. And mm. yeah, if we don't get this right, then maybe that will be the biggest criticism of this era that they didn't set themselves up for success going forward. It's an interesting question you ask because, you know, the New Zealand, like a lot of teams around the world, are sort of hamstrung in what they can do in terms of the game by, you know, the BCCI, the Australian Cricket Board, the ECB, those are the guys, the power brokers that, you know, hold the course for where cricket's going. And Mm -hmm. if you look back 20 years and go, what did cricket look like then? It's changed a lot in 20 years. And if you look ahead to the next 20 years, I think it's going to change even more. You know, change is only going to accelerate. So whoever comes into that role has to be able to do that. I mean, even David David White, if you look at his, when he was... Originally, we took the job up to now. How different the game yeah. would be. Uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, someone who has to come in will, will have to be able to, you know, change and mold, move with that. Well, I, and I think anyone who's gone through and led an organisation in sport through COVID, um, you know, relatively successfully and can come out um, with, you know, a, maybe not. I don't know the full details, but you know, a decent balance sheet. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the proposed revenue model for 2024 to 2027 later in the pod. I, you know, I think there's a legacy there for that administration that is beyond what's happened on the field as well. You know, that the grassroots game is in a pretty good, you know, a pretty good state. Um, you know, I think punch is well above its weight in terms of probably some of the interest, particularly in things like the Super Smash. It's really, really well received um, domestically over that Christmas and, and new periods, uh, new year period. So I think. Uh, some real positives, I think, in terms of in terms of New Zealand cricket. You mentioned Trent Bolt. Do you want to talk a little bit about his comments in the week as well? Uh, I, well, I, I think the last thing on White that I'll say is that uh, I, I I'm fascinated to know who's making these appointments now. Like, you know, there there are like we just said, there are huge decisions to be made, and when sort of all potentially two or three of these these big roles are, are up for grabs I mean I'm sure he'll still be involved I think Martin Sneddon's involved in, in the on the board and things mm. like that the board will be making decisions there but yeah the, there are some serious decisions to be made and, and yeah who moves us into that David White though you know not parting comments because I think he's still around for a little bit longer but did say he'd be very surprised if Trent Bolt is not in the World Cup squad so I think that kind of I think that probably has been one of the criticisms of the administration, I guess, New Zealand cricket administration, in terms of the way that they've handled this contract situation with with all of these guys, and, and they've 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 never really. Everyone's been wondering when is Trent Bolt available, when is he not available. You know, there was the big hoo ha over the fact that he you know was just down the road from the mm. test in the mount and wasn't you know was there but didn't play, and you know they picked other guys and you know the controversy around some of those other players and and all of that stuff but you know the fact I, I in my head I've never had any doubt that Bolt was going to be in, you know in that World Cup squad of fit I think it's really nice to hear it though from the administration and and when you hear Trent Bolt talk the, the alignment isn't quite there is it that you know Trent Trent's not kind of saying oh yeah new, he's he talks moderately positively about the relationship between New Zealand cricket but it's not like oh yeah you know I understand what they're doing in the in, in as many ways as it's got to be difficult for him though because he's he's made that decision hasn't he so he can't really sort of assume that he's going to be in the squad he, he's got to be relatively politically savvy in terms of what what he says because if they go a different way 
um, from a media perspective, it could, but you know, blow up and create a little bit of a shitstorm. Yeah, um, if, he's, if he's not selected, which you don't want leading into a big tournament, do you? Difficult for him, but also difficult for guys. Like I'm just using Henry Shipley as an example, right? Mm. Who's, yeah. who's done the hard work, played, um, you know, in 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 a lot of players' stead who have been away, uh, especially uh, Trent Bolt, who has stepped away a little bit. But then Trent Bolt coming straight back into that. How do you reckon they feel? Is that something where we just have to go, oh, look, you have to suck it up? It's a world tournament. We're taking our best players. Or do you feel a little bad for them? Mm. I, I don't especially feel bad for for those players on the fringe. I, th- I think actually, yes, it is. They they are the players that who... You, you, you go to a world tournament, you want to pick your best players. I think you all cricket sides should be aspiring to pick their best players at all times. And we've been somewhat critical of some sides like the West Indies in the yeah. past where they haven't been able to find a way to actually get their players on the pitch all on the same t- all at the same time and I think if we look back to that uh, test series against England when they decided not to pick Trent there was nothing riding on that World Test Championship for New Zealand we were already out of it if they were ever get, you know there is a, t- com- a time coming and it's not that far away when we don't have even a chance to pick Trent Bolt a chance to pick Neil Wagner a chance to pick Tim Southey so they need to find some players, and, and the only way you find out if players are good enough is by giving them the opportunities. So they had to do that, and, and that was a, a perfect time to do that. Trent Bolt now saying in those comments, though, that he'd love to pl- still play Test cricket, and I, I, I'm i really interested to, again, see how they navigate that situation because we've got some pretty awesome Test series coming mm-hmm. up. The ones that everyone kind of wants to see in the next couple of, you know, couple of years really where we've I think we've got England here we've got Australia here we've got South Africa here as well so you know those are those are the sides that we always want to beat at home because we don't really necessarily get that many opportunities to play them and again if Trent Bolt's not if Trent Bolt's available and not playing then that'll be a shame yeah absolutely well, we're going to talk more World Cup, obviously, in the lead-up to the tournament, so I'm sure lots and lots of column inches will be written about that over the course of the next uh, little while. Certainly after the the English summer is out of the way, I think that's going to be dominating the cricket in Langsape through July and August, which we'll come on to, I think, boy, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, a couple of other bits of housekeeping, I suppose. The soft signal is gone, um, which I don't think we need to spend too 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 much time on. All pretty happy with that. Yep. Um can I, ask, can I ask what that means, right? I was thinking about this on the bus today, and I was like, soft signal's gone, right? So they're going to have a discussion with the... Was there anything that prompted it on the bus, or no, did the bell just, ring or something? No, or someone just, out the window just diving? Yeah, no, it was, you know, News Talk ZB went to the headlines and it was on there. Um, so are they, they're going to have a discussion. I mean, do we revert back to the, you know, the unwritten or... Maybe, maybe it is written, the law of, you know, the benefit of the doubt goes to the batsman, so they have to see that it's out. Or is the referee going to, oh, the referee, the umpire going to go, mate, I, I'm pretty sure he caught that. Can you just double check it? And then, then that becomes the exact That's same thing. That's a soft signal, isn't but exactly, it? does yeah. that become the exact same thing? Mm. He's just not going like this or like this. He's still going to give his opinion. I guess we'll find out the first time, right? Now, when they yeah. draw the TV and what happens. I reckon we should just not talk about it. Yeah, I agree. Let's right. move on swiftly. <laughs> let, let, we were on the contract stuff. Why don't we talk about Joffre? Because, I, I mean... I, I don't want to get baldy to go and get his you know witch's hat on again but no, that, no definitely not we've got some listener feedback on that actually <laughs> yeah. what positive or negative very yes all the feedback that I get <laughs> <laughs> but it was it's exactly what we've been he talking about he made his point though he did make his point and it was very you know it was a very well articulated point and I think it I was talking about the point of the hat anyway <laughs> let's, let's let's move on uh, Jofra Archer you want to talk about the Mumbai offer well yeah because I think it's 
everyone's been predicting this is going to be happening, right? Can, can you tell me about it? I don't know anything about this. This really? No, I don't. You've been listening to news talk yeah, ZB, but, but apart from that, well, they haven't been talking about. Joffre. Should have been scrolling through ESPN. Talking about yeah, Mike yeah, no, the last week. The Oscars not been talking about Joffre Archer. Um, well, basically, it sounds like Mumbai Indians have offered. I don't think this is, a, you know, from the horse's mouth, but it sounds like Mumbai Indians have offered Joffre Archer a, a long-term contract that'll basically mean that he is property of the Mumbai Indians contracted to contracted to the Mumbai Indians and will only be released for international matches it'll be the reverse so right. he'll have to get a, an NOC from the uh, from the Mumbai Indians to play for England which is what we talked about last week or two weeks ago exactly but I think it's come around a lot quicker than people <clears throat> were, were thinking I you know and I've seen uh, people like Shane Watson and, and other sort of commentators in the in the cricket sphere sort of going saying that exact thing that everyone knew this was coming all the boards like you say have been thinking about how are we going to combat this when this does happen but here it is and as, as soon as one of these players signs this deal the whole can of worms is, is going to be exploding everywhere yeah so look I, I absolutely agree I think it will I think Mumbai are probably that little bit ahead of potentially some other franchises mm. in terms of they've got I think the MI Cape Town uh, franchise US. the US um, and they have a Middle that, East franchise I want to yeah, say it's yeah, in the UAE yeah Emirates so I, th I think they've probably got that infrastructure set up and I think I was listening to an interview actually with Alex Stewart, who is still, I think, I'll get his title wrong, but essentially director of cricket at Surrey. Mm. Um, and one of the things that he said was, you know, he he thinks that there needs to be a, a recognising of the fact that when a, you know, and he was talking about it obviously from a Surrey perspective, when a Jason Roy goes off and plays in a, a franchise tournament and he's contracted to Surrey, you know, he's, at least they're paying a portion of his wages, when he pulls a hamstring, they're the guys that will um, rehab him, that will give him the medical facilities to get him back fit. Mm. They will give him some second 11 cricket to go and have a hit. They'll bring him into the T20 blast side so he can find some form. They'll pay his wages and then he'll then disappear off and play um, a combination of international and franchise cricket. And it's said that a, a big part of that now needs to be that that is you know that has to be then part of the way that these franchises are set up. They mm. they can't just essentially take a player when they're fit, put them on the you know a big stage, and then not play any part in that uh, pastoral care and and development. You know, mm -hmm. he said you know why why should one of my batting coaches get the sidearm out and throw to him? Rather than an up and coming sorry player, mm. and it, it, you know he wasn't talking specifically about Jason Roy. It was an, you know it was an example. So I think we are going to see it, and I think uh, you know ultimately as long as those franchises have got that infrastructure in place, um, I, it, it, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I don't actually don't have that much of a of a problem um, with it as long as we have got that right recognizing that we no let me finish that we've got the right international windows available um to, to play the big series um and that um we, you know there is a mechanism in place to say that um international players are released to play in those you know in, in those games but i think if we if, if it means we lose bilateral cricket i'm fine with that but uh, even bilateral test cricket uh, no, because that's I think Test cricket is is a look, and that that's where this is a personal conversation, right? We are all Test cricket aficionados, I think, round round the Fans, table. Yep. Um, so look, I, I, we can be aficionados. You can, I'm not. You, <laughs> fair enough. Um, you, so, you you three can be. I'm not. 
Okay, um, I'm just a, I'm just a humble fan. Okay, fair Not enough. Not even that humble, actually. But <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> give it to me. I'm going to give it to you. Thank you. <laughs> as you can speak on the podcast as well. Thank you. If as you could keep interrupting each other, that'd be that'd make for riveting stuff. As long as long as this isn't the beginning of the marginalisation of Test cricket, then this ultimately for the player for for for. Players like Jofra Archer and Andre Russell, the super de duper de duper stars of of cricket, they will have access to earning potential the likes of which belong to only rare footballers and baseballers and basketball players in the United States. Like that is that is the company that they will become part of effectively there's a big difference between those two players they brought in one is still on an upward curve yep. probably in terms of an international career yep. and one is a guy that isn't going to play uh, too much you could argue cricket. that Joffre's not though in terms of his injuries you could argue that he's you could argue how old is he you could argue that he's five you could argue okay there's a difference one's in their 20s and one's in their 30s yeah, 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 yeah. What, one's you know pretty pretty much one foot into the retirement so, phase so there are a number of unanswered questions that I don't think the cricket community has fully thought through. One is that there is going to become a massive gulf between players who are signed to those franchises and those that aren't. So there's going to be more haves yeah. versus have-nots. That's already a problem in the international game. It will get worse in the domestic game. Your your point, Adam, about who looks after the player um, in terms of their mental health and their retirement, You know what, what happens with the inevitable post-career concussion issue if a player is contracted to multiple franchises as opposed to their county or international yeah. site who looks after them if that becomes an, like I very much doubt that there is an international fund set up by big franchises to look after players who suffer long term mental or physical health issues as a result of concussion um, the interests of and I've said it before the interests of those people running the big franchises is not aligned to the interests of the wider cricket community right in by and large they are say they are very influential figures with a lot of money they do not have well they have a seat at the table for that but they but they are potentially conflicted in terms of their conflict of interest and all of that points to a situation a bit like international uh, sorry a bit like big football where there is marginal interest in football at the european level other than euro other than the euro tournament which happens what every four years yeah the world cup and that's it mm. no other real friendly football exists there's the asian champions tournament that australia plays in marginal there are a few other tournaments that are that are played in marginal like that i think is the road that we need to be prepared to head down in the international cricket outside of world cups will become marginalized and i fear for the fact that test cricket doesn't have a window to be able to do what it's able to do now which is showcase international talent i, I want to argue with you that cool you know it's, it's not the beginning of the the marginalization of, of test cricket it's almost the continuation of the modernization of Test cricket since the eighties, since we brought sort of one day cricket or one day cricket kicked off, um, we're looking at within sixty years the you know extinction of Test cricket almost by twenty forty that we play two tests a year or something something like that in an mm -hmm. international window. Mm -hmm. it, it really is just sort of phase two, phase three, the progression of of where this is going and. At the end of the day, when ratings, revenue, everything that sort of is is king or, or queen, 
that's just where the game is going to go and I think that we, we, it's going to be hard to, to stop that by, with you know, us four on the podcast. Well, exactly, and you look at that ICC revenue model that you you It's outrageous. Yeah, absolutely outrageous. It, it is outrageous. And I mean, but, you know, so India I think gets 38% of the pie or something. It's, um, but all the flip side of, of every or the other arguments that, that I've seen are that India generates way more than 38% of that money. Mm. So... They they could almost argue yeah, okay. they're not getting enough, and yeah. so so you yeah. know you go you go down. People thought it was you know we always talk about the big three, but I think Australia and, and uh, England it's like seven percent or s- England six point eight and yeah Australia six point two yeah. Whereas New Zealand's at four point five or seven or something, and mm. and you know all the other nations are about there. The mm. you know the the lesser ranked nations get slightly less yeah. and things. But so, so the governance of cricket is in a poor state globally, right? Because as much as we malign US sports as being player-driven and you know money-oriented and all the rest of it, at least the collective bargaining agreements in those sports recognise big market versus small market and have revenue-sharing models that approximate a fair distribution of TV revenue, which is effectively what 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 this is, right? Mm. The vast majority of it, of money made in cricket is through TV revenue by selling TV rights to Indian cricket, the IPL, Indian in Indian games, etc. So, what is skewed here is the governance model for cricket globally does not have an adequate collective bargaining agreement across nations because that's hard to organise one, and it's even harder to organise when one party has all the money and all and all of the say so like i don't see there being an answer to this problem and if all that's being served is commercial interests for a very very few select group of people to harness cricket and use it to make even more money for commercial gain like that uh, and i'm starting to sound a lot more which way am I leaning? I can't remember the left and the right ones. The one, the, the mummy government one. I'm starting to lean far towards the... the to, to the left. Yes, right, fair enough. Far forward, further towards the left than I normally would. But, like, that is a consideration that I think that we haven't really addressed in this, you know, we're so obsessed with whether or not we could, we haven't stopped to think if we should. Well, absolutely. And, I mean, you think about that that model, though, in terms of the the revenue... There's just yeah, there's there's no. You talked about the NBA. I think we might get to a situation where the players are looking at those models and going, actually, we're not getting enough. Yes, because you when I, I think I saw some stat, I I cannot remember any of it, but in terms of the percentage that the players get compared to uh, from in the IPL compared to the NBA and all the other sports, yeah, so it's the, very low. Yeah, the I think NBA they only get the, about fourteen. The NBA's fifty and a half percent, I think, goes to the players through that. But through they that can dictate that. In a franchise-based system. Exactly. Exactly. If we do go to a franchise model, this might be awesome for the players. The the players might be, like you say, being on the spectrum of some of these global superstars where they're earning $40, $50 million a year. Yes, absolutely. And and if you're a player... Joffre Archer on a Supermax. You're thinking thinking it's fantastic. But but again, to Bordy's point, I think that's where then the other things that you get from the way that the game currently runs where you're contracted to your national board, you've got some support. Um, you know, England will be supporting 400 professional cricketers 
uh, Australia is supporting. I, I don't know how many people get co- uh, state contracts. Maybe twenty people get state contracts. Yeah, so you might have one hundred twenty, one hundred fifty cricketers. That isn't going to be the case as we as we move forward. If that is franchise driven. Well, I read I read an article and it makes more sense now around the timing of Kieran Kieran Pollard came out and talked about how the Mumbai Indians, you know, helped him, looked after his body, got him the rehab he needed. Yeah. It was more of a slight against the, you know, the West Indies cricket board, but <laughs> it makes sense now that, you know, they're trying to get this into the media, trying to push that they yeah. Well, that's that a good thing. At least, yeah. at least th- those structures are in place and, to, and to look after And when we've had Bondi players, and, and James Pamant on, they've, they've talked about that, that, you know, the pastoral care of Mumbai well, Indians. Well, and they all set that up that infrastructure to operate 12 months a year, right? So, you know, that is, you know, mm. that is a unequivocal, but there's going to be franchise tournaments where that isn't the case, yeah, where it is yeah. pay big money, get the people yeah. in, and then and literally pack up the stand and don't bring it out again until the next year that the tournament's yeah. on. And that's the problem. And there's a, there's a multi-jurisdictional issue as well, right? Like if you're contracted to a big, like, franchise like that and you're playing in, like, multiple leagues around the world... And you get hurt. Who's picking up the tab for your rehab? And you know those, like the working conditions in each of those nations will be very different. Like, how do you need to look after someone in terms of yeah. superannuation and what happens after cricket and you know all of those kinds of you know post career things? Because yes, there's a lot of money on offer for the big big guys, but you know if you're not in the IPL, what's the what's the what's the living for you playing cricket? You know, what's that going to look like? And so, you know, all of those things are going to be have to be navigated very, very carefully. And I really fear that they're not going to be considered in a holistic way. I think it's going to be purely commercial driven for those franchises to make a lot of money, which would be a sad outcome. Well, I'll tell you what, we've talked for about 17 minutes um, and we're not going to come to a conclusion. Let's take an a action. Lot, a lot of employment well, chat on yeah, today's let, podcast. Let we're going to go to the county championship in a minute, but let's just say that we'll come back to this and we'll actually do some proper research. Mm-hmm. We'll get an algorithm going mm-hmm. um, and, and we'll we'll have a you know have a decent, a decent chat about this in a future episode when there's uh, no cricket going on. I'm looking through your notes here and you've missed actually the biggest story of the county championship but let, let's get into well, that which one bit. have i missed you've missed rory burns is here oh boy. okay that is Whoa, the biggest have we story got, have we got some of, kind of he looks like he's one of king louis musketeers <laughs> it is incredible oh wow so still long like halfway down the back long. oh wow okay. that's an exaggeration I, but very long. i thought you're gonna say he'd cut it off and, and it's just... not black either it's, it's a different color you need to have a look at this picture. Well, you're very excited about uh, it, so I can see. I'm, I'm going to let, let's let's segue though to someone at the opposite of the uh, opposite end of the hair spectrum. <laughs> Daryl Mitchell um, has brought up a hundred for for Lancashire. Looked pretty good as well yeah, on the yeah, yeah. on the highlights. Yeah, must highlights have been pretty well. happy with that. Oh mate, yeah. Look, I, he's. Uh, I was starting to. I was thinking about him when I was watching those highlights. I think he's just a legit awesome player now. Yeah. I. I, I no, well, you know, like there's that you go through this time when you're watching someone and you think, okay, like they're a handy cricketer, they've come in, they've taken their chance, done all that kind of stuff, and then you go, then you reach a point where it's this is just who he is. That he is a very consistent international performer who, over the past twelve months, eighteen months, two years, is performing at an extremely high level. And if this is what we're going to get out of him, then we're at the point where we've got an unbelievable, you know player on our hands here for the next two or three years and we talk about Conway and Williamson yeah. and all these other guys that always get the the limelight but if Mitchell and then Blundell as well can kind of 
become those two players that they've been in the past 12 months, this batting lineup is starting to look very, very good. With Mitchell especially, you mentioned the word consistency, and that that's actually the key. It's consistency across all kinds of situations. He's not just a fair-weather cricketer. Mm. He's come in when we've, we've been really on the back foot and sort of gotten us out of holes. Yep. He's done it at World Cup semifinals uh, for the 2020. Uh, look, he is consistent. Well, this thing's there. They were, I think they were 50 for three or something yeah. that comes in. And I think first ball, he's just donked it over the bowler's head for, for four or six and just played with that positivity all the time. Yeah, it's awesome, awesome to watch. And yeah, like I said, he's a, he's a pretty good cricketer now. Steve Smith, other end of the spectrum, struggling a little bit in the county championship. I think he's averaging 11 or something like that. Mm. Um, the press are already starting to, to gear up. Ollie Robinson made a comment, I think, in the press that he'd noticed a couple of things um, of Smith in the nets. But he did then go on to say, and I'm sure he's noticed some things about my bowling yeah. that he'll be able to take advantage of. Of course, the headline is, you know, Ollie Robinson's got Steve Smith on toast or something like that. <laughs> um, anything caught your eye, Bordy, in, in that? Are you concerned with, I guess, Smith's form? No, not with Smith's form. I mean, he's he's going to average what he averages. I mean, you can set your own expectations in your own line on what you think he'll average. I've got mine, and I'll save it to the Ashes preview. But he he is going to be who he is. I think the real interesting ones are the guys like Marcus Harris, guys on the fringe of test of test selection. How he's performing, how Cameron Bancroft's performing, how Michael Neeser is performing yeah, yeah, for really, really Glamorgan. Well. Glamorgan. Yeah. yeah. Um, so guys like that are the ones that I think are really interesting to me because. England have already said it. This Ashes series is most likely going to be, particularly for the bowlers, a squad game. England have got their own injury concerns. They'll probably have resolved themselves by the time the Ashes rolls around. But I think for Australia, they are not going to be able to just roll out Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark for every test. They're going to need to bring some other players in. It might be guys like Michael Neeser. So they're the guys that I'm really looking at. The other thing that I'm really looking at as well is the top of the order for Australia. What are we going to get out of the opening partnership? Is it going to be a Harris or a Renshaw or someone like that coming in for Warner or Kawaja? After to, game three, when yeah, Stuart when, Broad's dismissed yeah. David Warner from six, around the wicket. Six times, six times. Six times for nine runs. I, I reckon, like that's a real concern because by then the Ashes could be gone. Well, I reckon that's the biggest question is actually the top order because... You'd expect India, expect Australia to be able to take 20 wickets in yep. England. Uh, but Smith basically put the team on his back in the last Ashes in 2019. What did he average in that? He was, was lost. 80, 80, 80 or 90. Like, I don't think that he'll be able to pull that sort of Herculean her, her her yep. effort out again. And it is about those peripherals. How's Manus going? Who's, yep. who, who's going to open the batting? Those are the questions that are actually the biggest for Australia. Yeah, and sure. they're unanswered for me at the moment. And we'll save those for the Ashes. I think we will. Ashes preview. Uh, quickly, Binksy, we've gone 56 and a half minutes without talking about wicket-keeping. Folks? Yeah, so... Open question. Thoughts? <laughs> yeah, so look, this is something that I, you know, I, I'm literally Googling his name every morning at the moment. <laughs> and, uh, and look, unfortunately, my Google this morning came up with a, uh, a scoop, an exclusive in the Daily Telegraph out of London, saying that... Um, there are sources close to the England setup that say that Bairstow is going to keep wicket through the course of the Ooh. Ashes um, and be named in the squad for the test against Ireland, which is going to come out over the next two or three days. Um, they obviously mentioned some other permutations. I've seen even Ben Stokes to open the batting um, with Ben Duckett and Crawley to, to get the heave ho to allow them to play Bairstow and folks. 
Um, and then obviously that you know the more obvious one, which would be that uh, Bearstow might come in and open the batting, and and Folks keeps the gloves. But it looks as if he, it, despite averaging, I think sixty odd, um, forty odd, and you know a good thirty odd in that New Zealand series in his last three series. Ben Folks is going to get the arse. The other thing to note as well, we talked a little bit about those bowling stocks a minute or two ago. Um, Ollie Stone now out for six or seven weeks. Um, so, so to go alongside, obviously, the fact that it's looking unlikely that Jofra Archer um, is going to play much part in the, the English summer, it really only leaves England with Mark Wood of those, uh, you know, that real mm. express trio uh, at, the, at this stage uh, fit. So they're going to need to go into those sort of bowling depths and, Bryden Cast is the other one that they've talked about a little bit, and he's uh, yeah he's got a little niggle as well. So, mm. um, whilst it might not be rosy for David Warner and Australia at the top of the order, England not without their problems leading into uh, yeah leading into June in that Test match against against Doesn't Ireland. Doesn't sound like problems. Sounds like an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, yeah, m- maybe. Let's. Uh, we'll come on to that on the Ashes preview show. But look, as you've alluded to, we've gone fifty-seven minutes. So um, I think time to wrap up the podcast um, here. It's been good to talk um, IPL. We'll be back, of course, next week. Um, a week deeper into the tournament, we'll be coming into the pizza night, the, the dominator, summer, and the baconator, the baconator, uh, and we'll talk about the finals preview for the IPL. And then we'll be a little bit closer to that first test match of the English summer as well. Ireland versus England at Lords. But for now, it is good night and God bless from us here at the Top Order podcast. Uh, we'll see you very soon. Stay tuned. Good night. Good night.